You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this morning, I want to invite you back to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We took about a two-week break from 1 Peter with Palm Sunday and Easter, but we are going to go back and jump into the second half of this book through 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you're visiting with us and you're thinking, man, what is Bethel all about? Uh, There's a lot of things, and we hope you'll come to Discover Bethel to hear all about it, but we are people that believe highly in God's Word, and each Sunday morning we open it up and we read it, we will talk through it, and this is why we have come together, is to open God's Word uh, with one another. So we're going to be picking back up, but let me remind us of just a couple of things that we need to put in the back of our mind to make sure that we are understanding all that Peter has for his readers and then eventually to us. And so Peter is the author. If there's everybody been anyone that understood what it was like to walk with Jesus, be called by him, and then to fail miserably, it was Peter. Peter was one of the apostles. He was the one that said, Lord, I'll go with you wherever you go. I will never deny you. And Peter falls by denying Jesus three times. So he understands grace and he understands forgiveness. And he's writing to a group of believers in Asia Minor. It's a general epistle, meaning it's not to uh, one particular person. It was meant to be used by a lot of different uh, individuals. And these are people that have experienced salvation, and their lives drastically change. Everything about them changes. They were raised under a certain mindset, a certain environment, a culture. They meet Jesus, and their lives change. And we've seen over and over again that they are citizens of a new world. They are strangers. They're exiles where they're living because their home is not this world anymore. And Peter is telling them over and over that you need to live with that in mind. So they're in a Roman providence. What this means is that Rome, the world power trying to take over, they would conquer communities and cities and and countries, and they would send people to live as Rome in those certain cities. And under this uh, time that Peter is writing, remember Nero. Nero was a crazy king that did something uh, that is almost unthinkable. He wanted to leave a name for himself. So what does he do? He burns down Rome. Because he wants to rebuild it and everybody look at how great Nero is. And he blames it on these newfound Christians, these people that are following this Christ. And so he blames him. So persecution is beginning to take place. And so often in his letter, he's going to talk about suffering and persecution. And yes, there's a lot that was going on. Paul perhaps has probably already been martyred, but a lot of the persecution is felt socially. It was, you're a part of our group, and now you're following the strange man that they killed, and so we're breaking ties with you, and you felt it socially. But this morning, we're going to go to those six verses that Chris read in chapter 4. And this morning, Peter is going to talk to us. In fact, he's going to command us to kill sin. Now, I don't know about you, but my life would be a lot better if I could simply stop Sinning. If I could just stop sinning, I know my life would be so much better. And I've wondered, 
what it would be like just one day, the one day without sinning. And imagine what it would be to go one day and to have no selfish action or thought. Can you imagine a day that there was no, not one unwholesome word that came out of your mouth? Imagine a day where every thought that came through your mind was pure and holy. Or imagine a day where you served others out of a kind and unselfish heart. Or imagine a day with no fighting and bickering in your home. One day, I hope that will happen. Can you imagine a work day? It's filled with total integrity. Imagine an entire day with not one hint of gossip. Imagine one day where every dollar spent was for God's glory. Can you imagine a day filled with nothing but love and respect? And all of we know that this is impossible, that one day it will be true of not just one day, but every single day after that. So Peter's going to challenge us to fight. He's going to command us to go to war. He's going to tell us to get down in the trenches and fight with everything that we have. And he's going to show us how to kill sin. But this battle's not one that you fight out there. It starts within us. So let's go to chapter 4, the first verse, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So the greatest warrior and fighter to ever live is Jesus. And Peter starts by reminding us of Christ's life and death. What we've talked about for the last two weeks in depth. That Christ suffered in the flesh. He came, he took on humanity... He had emotions, he got hungry, he knew what it was like to be abandoned, to feel alone, and he suffered in the flesh. He left his place of heaven and he became a man and he suffered. He suffered ridicule, beatings, humiliation, abandonment, loneliness. And the greatest of all sufferings that we talked about last weekend, he became cursed and God turned his back on him. And Peter says, never forget that. Never lose sight of what Jesus did. And so with the example of Christ suffered, he suffered in the flesh, he then says, then arm yourselves. And he uses this military term of what it means to, to make ready. Uh, I think he's echoing Peter in uh, Ephesians 6, where he talks about putting on the whole armor of God. So how do we... Arm ourselves in with what? Well, I think how he tells us to keep our minds and our eyes on Jesus and what he's actually done for us. And he says that's all the motivation you need. You keep your eyes on him and then you arm yourself. And notice what it says, arm yourselves. And he's going to tell us what to arm ourselves with in the same way of thinking. Okay, so what was Jesus thinking when he was suffering? Well, he was being tempted in the wilderness, when he was betrayed by Judas, when he was in turmoil praying in the garden, and when he was falsely accused by the religious leaders. What was Jesus thinking in those moments? 
Well, he what he was doing, every moment he was laying down his own personal wants, his desires, and his ideas on the altar and allowing God the Father's will to be done. Jesus was putting God the Father's will above his own. And that was his mindset. That was his way of thinking. So this battle with sin... We are to think about Christ and then arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Meaning that in every area of our lives, in my life and in yours, we are to do God's will above our own. In every area of our lives, we should want God's will to be done over what I want. This means in your education, your parenting, finances, your friendships, your workplace, we are to place ourselves underneath God's will. Then Peter gives a bold statement, and Peter is pretty pretty often doing this where he gives us phrases like this. So if you've ever suffered, you know what? You've stopped sinning. So if you've ever suffered, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sinning. Now what does Peter mean? The point is not that if you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, that if you suffer, you obtain sinless perfection. But when we suffer, he says you're triumphing over sin. So let me break it down to a kind of a, a personal letter. Peter is not saying that if you suffer for Christ, you stop sinning. Peter suffered. I mean, think, he, he left the only way he knew to make an income. He was a fisherman. He He suffered by leaving his family. He suffered by going on the road and traveling from place to place, never knowing where he would be. He suffered watching Jesus be betrayed. He suffered. But then Peter turns right around, and he sins by denying Christ three times. So there's all kinds of ways. What is he meaning that when you suffer, you cease from sinning? He said, I think there are many ways that we can suffer. Suffer isn't just being beaten and being martyred. And yes, that is absolutely a form of suffering. But what about suffering that might look a little little different? That suffering, I think, is what happens, any affliction that you might experience for following Jesus Christ. Any affliction that you might experience for following Jesus. Jesus Christ, for example, your children, well, I know yours don't, sometimes talk back. I know yours don't. They talk back and are completely disobedient. The normal reaction is to fire back with anger because let's just be honest, it just feels good. And it feels good to release that frustration that's just been inflicted upon you as a parent. But instead of fighting back with anger and in rage, you respond in an appropriate way that honors God by putting your selfish anger to death. Or say someone spreads gossip about you, and the the natural reaction is, I've been hurt, I've got to hurt you. That's the natural reaction. But say you don't fight back against the desire to get even, you know what, you're putting to death the sin of pride. Or if you're tempted to engage in lustful thoughts about someone. 
The natural reaction is to allow your mind and your eyes to live there for a while. And if you fight against that, you are putting lust to death. So Peter is saying that when you suffer in the flesh, that battle that that we experience every day, when you die to the flesh, you are putting the indwelling sin that is in you to death. You are killing sin. And in that moment when you choose not to sin, you're killing sin. Now, of course, Peter does not mean that you actually stop sinning permanently or even forever. We are sinners and I mean, we sin all the time. What he says and what he means is that when you are tempted and you fight that sin with the Word of God and through the Spirit of God, that in that moment you have ceased and you have stopped sinning, meaning you kill sin. And you've stopped and you've stood up against the power of sin in your life. You know what? It might be a short-lived moment, but you have told sin that it has no power over you. You're saying no to sin and yes to Jesus in that moment. And it may be short-lived, but in that moment when you've chosen to hold your tongue, you're killing sin and you have stopped sinning in that moment. I don't know about you, but I I want more of those moments in my life. I, I want more moments where I serve my family and others over my selfishness. And I do it with a glad heart. I mean, I want more moments where I'm breathing life into people with words that build up rather than breathing death with words that tear down. I, I, I want more moments in my life where I honor God rather than satisfying my own pride. So in verse 2, Peter shows us what it looks like. Look at verse 2. It says, And so as far as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. And that was Jesus' mindset. So from the moment you give your life to Christ, you are to fight against sin, and that sin of the flesh, the sin that is in us, and we are to battle against these human passions. We are to kill sin, Peter says. And we're to do this for the will of God. We're to die to ourselves, and we are to live for Him. But this doesn't come naturally. It's, it's not easy. I mean, it's like going to Chuck E. Cheese and you, you take that little mallet and a little whack-a-mole and just when one pops up and you crush it in the head and you think, well, I got that one under control. Guess what? Another one pops up. It's this battle that we fight on so many different fronts and in so many different ways. And I think that's why Peter is using a military term. It's a constant war, meaning we don't get to coast into doing God's will. Nothing drifts toward good. You have to constantly fight for it. We don't get to coast in our lives to find God's will and just expect it to happen. We must strive for it. We must prepare. We must be intentional about it because nothing drifts toward good. But you know what sin's going to do? It is not going to give you any rest as long as there is just one spark of life left in you. We have to be on constant alert. The the threat level is always at its highest. And we are never to let our guard down. And we cannot take off one piece of the armor until we finally get to put off these sinful bodies. You know, I've talked to a lot of people that have been caught 
in sin. And it's the same thing over and over again, whether it happened on the internet or it was in a relationship or it was something, you know, with integrity. I mean, they always say, man, I never thought this is where I was going to end up. I never thought it would get this bad. Yeah, I started dabbling in this or I started getting involved in this. I always thought I had it under control. But sin will not give up on you as long as there is one spark of life left in you. You know what sin wants to do? It wants to take everything from you. Sin will offer you everything that you want only to destroy you. Sin wants to take your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, the faithfulness you have, and self-control. And sin will be patient. And little by little, it will take control. Because human passions and sin, they will never give their life for you. They will promise you all kinds of things. But the only one that has ever given his life for you is Jesus Christ. But sin, it'll never sacrifice what it has for you. It wants to take control, but it will be patient and little by little. But it only seeks to take your life. Sin will never give up anything for you. Lust, unforgiveness, pride, selfishness, anger, they may feel really good, but they will never sacrifice for you but only seek to take control and destroy you. So, man, I've spent some time even thinking this week going, where's my battle? Where, where do I need to kill sin in my own life? And I think that's a question that Peter wants us to ask is, where is your battle right now? Where do you need to go to battle for sin? Where do you need to kill sin in your life? Maybe it's with your mouth. Your thought life, unforgiveness, bitterness in your friendships, in your home, in our marriages. And we have to make a firm decision about who we're going to follow each and every day. Each and every day we have to make a decision, okay, is today am I going to do God's will or am I going to do mine? And there will be moments all throughout that day we have to remind ourselves, this is what Jesus did. And therefore, I need to follow, and I need my mind to follow after him. So look at verse 3. He says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Peter says, Listen, folks. You've had enough time to go and live like people, to live like unbelievers. You've had enough time to sow your wild oaks. It's time to get serious. He says you spend enough time in the sensuality, meaning fulfilling your own selfish physical desires. You've had enough time of doing it. He talks about passions, doing what only makes you feel good. Drunkenness, using things to cope and to make yourself feel better. Orgies, meaning sexual promiscuity, drinking parties, meaning gathering just for the sole purpose of, of doing away with moral boundaries. Lawless idolatry, worshiping all kinds of other gods, including yourself. Peter says, acknowledge that there are all kinds of dangers out there. He says, look around. You're going to have to fight battles of all different kinds on all different fronts. Just when you crush one mole's head, another one is going to pop up. There are going to be all kinds of battles you face that we all have demons that we face. You know what? Yours will be different than mine. 
My struggle will be different than yours. You won't have a problem with it, but it'll be one that I'll fight my entire life. Because our human passions, they're going to be different. They're going to come in all different uh, forms and fashions of trying to offer us all kinds of things only to take our lives. But we all have to kill sin. But the battle doesn't just stop with us. If we think we're doing all the things right, he wants to make sure Then you've got to be ready then for what's outside. Look at verse 4. With respect to this, they, um, they were surprised that when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Meaning this, if you choose to follow God's will, instead of your own selfish desires, in following after your own passions, there will be people that do not understand. Not only will they not understand, they may malign you. They may, it says, heap abuse on you. People that are not spiritually mature and carnal, you know what? There are going to be people that don't understand why you're doing the things that you do. Unbelievers that have never experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you know, they're not going to understand why you're doing some things and not doing others. They're not going to understand. And some may even lash out at you. So let me give you two contexts. Let me give you what Peter was dealing with and then try to relate it to something about us. So in Peter's time, you're, you're in this Roman providence, these Roman-controlled cities, and it was normal to participate in all kinds of festivals. Some of them were, uh, were to honor a variety of gods. Some of them seemed very simple. You might come together for a special meal, and you might offer a sacrifice of grain or, or some vegetables or an animal, and it was all men, and it seemed pretty innocent. But there were other parties that were filled with all kinds of sexual activities outside of marriage. And there were days, that, festivals, that anything goes. And people saw these, these festivals as like their civic duty. To participate was to be a mark of a good citizen. If you went to that and you were a part of that, then people saw you and they said, oh, they're supporting the city, they're supporting Rome, they're supporting all the things that we are all about. So to participate was seen as a good thing. And if you didn't participate, you were seen as a social outcast. And they saw nothing wrong with what they were doing. And if you did not join in with them, then you were a stranger and would even uh, heap insults. But what about us? How in the world could this relate to us? Because we don't hopefully have those kinds of festivals and parties. But you know what? We can look at all kinds of ways in our social context. You know, it's socially acceptable to scream and yell at coaches and umpires and children, um, other teams as they play. And if you choose to honor God with your tongue and your attitude, you're abnormal. And some people are not going to understand why you're not as irate as they are that that guy missed that call. You may choose to honor God with your tongue and your attitude that way. No, there might be people that are not going to understand within your home. I mean, I've known people that uh, would sacrifice family trips uh, with extended family to go and do a mission endeavor. And they would come and sit down and say, man, we feel God is calling us this, but our family just doesn't understand why we would give up a week of doing all of this fun to go and serve in this third world country. Or why we would go door to door doing vacation Bible schools in these cities on our vacation. And yes, there'll be people that don't understand. 
You know what, God, and we've been praying this for a long time, that God would call people out of all of our campuses, downtown, south, or here at White House, that God is going to call to partner with people that are going to move and plant churches all across the United States. You know what, if God ever calls you to that, you know what, there will be people that don't understand. There are going to be people that are going to call you stupid and idiots for leaving all the things that you have to go and do something that seems crazy to them. And Peter says, listen, that will happen, but don't worry. He says, don't worry about what other people might think and what they might say. You follow God's will for your life in every aspect, private and public, and you leave the insults and the ridicule up to Him. Look at verse 5. But they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. All we need to do is to arm ourselves with the same thinking as Christ and then to follow God's will in every aspect of our life and let God take care of the rest. God is going to judge those that persecute and ridicule His children. God will remember every single insult His children endure. He will remember every harsh word they have experienced and He will keep record of every single abuse His children are exposed to. And I hope, I hope I and I hope you have repented of every time we have been the inflictor. And then we need to let God judge those that don't understand and we need to leave that worry, leave it with Him. Because people are not going to understand if you follow God with all of your heart. Because we live in a a context, we live in a culture that it's it's okay to kind of be 49% in for Jesus. But just don't cross over into that really strange area where everything that you're doing, the way you spend your money, the way you plan, and everything that you do. Because you know, when we think of big decisions, maybe moving, jobs, yeah, we get on our knees and we pray for God's will. But what about just in the simple everyday things? When we go to the grocery store, God, help me to be faithful. Help me to do what is your will and things I buy to support those around me. Or every day when we're on business trips or whatever we might do, do we pray for God's will even in those ordinary moments? Now look at verse 6, the last verse. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, at first glance, at first reading, we read that, and it seems like that Peter is saying that the gospel is preached to people that are dead. And these are the phrases, these are the words, these are the verses that people like to use to say that everybody gets a second chance after they die. That is not what Peter is talking about. What's happening is that people are coming up to these so-called Christians, these people that are following this dead Jesus, and their lives are different, the way they're doing decisions, the way they're conducting business, and in their homes, everything is different, and they keep talking about this thing called eternal life. They keep realizing that death no longer has power over them, and the non-Christians, those that are outside, are looking and going, but wait... You tell me you follow this man named Jesus and, and, and your neighbor Jonathan does, but last week we were at his funeral. How is it that you Christians claim this life over death, this eternal life, and you keep dying too? It's just the other day, Marla caught Marcus and he was uh, talking to JR, our dog. And JR understands, you know, and he's talking to JR and um, he says, JR, I, I really hope that you 
trust in Jesus because I don't want you to die. And what he's thinking is, is, you know, here's just talking about eternal life and that we don't have to fear death anymore. Death is not the end. And we can see how that confusion can happen. Oh, I'm going to trust in Jesus, and that means I, I don't have to die. And no, we still experience this physical death, but we don't have to experience a, a, a spiritual death anymore. This physical body is going to die, but then we live forever. And what he's saying, Peter is saying, is that, listen, you don't understand. He, he says, yes, these are people, but when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the gospel was preached to them, and yes, they died, but that is not the end. Those that have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, that they will live in the Spirit the way God does. And Peter is talking about the resurrection that comes for those that have put their faith and trust in Christ. So in chapter 4, the first six verses... Peter's challenging us to kill sin or to arm ourselves with the same mindset of Christ. Christ came and he suffered to do God's will. There wasn't anything that Jesus was not willing to do to make sure that happens. And Peter says, arm yourselves in the same way. Meaning Jesus gave up his plans, his desires, his own passions to do the Father's will. And Peter says, follow his example." That we need to kill sin. We must fight with all that we have to put sin to death. But I want us to not lose sight of something. Because I know myself pretty well. And I, I think I know people. Is that we are such lovers of self. There's no one you love more than you. Because I know that deep down there's no one I love more than me. But we don't kill sin to earn God's love. And I, we live in a context where everything is about earning and, and you do this and this, you get this. But killing sin doesn't earn you God's love. We kill sin to show God's love. When people see us living for someone other than ourselves that should cause their eyebrows to go up and go, why is that person doing that? Then we get to give an answer for the hope that is in us. So we don't kill sin to get God to love us. We don't kill sin to earn God's love. We kill sin to show it. Meaning we don't put sin to death. We don't kill sin to get God to love us. We don't obey God's commands so that God will love us more. God does not love us more because we obey. I mean, you think about it. If we could really believe that, that God does not love me more because I obey. Think about how much freedom there is in that. Yes, we kill sin. We put the indwelling sin to death in order to show God's love to others. Because when you're in Christ, God loves you as he loves his son completely. We are loved based on what Christ has done on our behalf. And that's how secure we are. I'm not loved by God more because I obey. I'm loved because of what Christ has done. He can't love Jesus anymore. Therefore, he cannot love you anymore. But if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I can make the center of my Christian life my obedience and my holiness. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were with the youth and on Wednesday nights, and we've split them uh, middle school and high school, and we were with the younger group, and it was a great study to talk about what is Christianity. And we asked them, man, your friends or the people you know, what do they say 
being a Christian is. And without hesitation, they said, oh, it's a list of things that you're to do or not to do. And we think about it, that's how often we've set it up to Christianity is this list of things that you do and you don't do. And as, as long as you stay away from this category, you're, you're good. And you do these things and you don't do these things. And that is what makes a Christian. And if we're not careful, we make the center of our Christian life our obedience and our holiness. Although Peter says and he commands us to kill sin, our sin fighting is not the focus of our Christian life. Jesus. What he has done for us should be the center of our Christian life. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we make Christian life all about our performance and our success. And that's nothing but sinful, selfish pridefulness. So let me ask you three questions about killing sin. Can you obey God and can you do his will without anyone knowing it? You know, we live in such a time that, and live in a day uh, that says, you know, I want everybody to know how spiritual I am. There's a funny website called the Babylon Bee. Headline this week said that girl has quiet time and doesn't Instagram it. And the world can't believe it. I mean, her small group can't believe that she had a quiet time with the lighting just right, her cup of coffee, her journal, her highlighters, her Bible open, and she didn't Instagram it. And she even says, she says, well, how am I supposed to find a husband if people don't know that I'm a woman of the word? You know, we love for people to see our obedience. And listen, there is nothing wrong with posting a verse or posting what God has been teaching you. The problem is, is that when we make our performance noticed because it feeds our need for self-promotion. So can I obey? Can Can I follow God's will? Can I kill sin And no one know about it. Or can you obey God? Can you do His will? Can you kill sin in your life without looking down on other people? Because, man, I can feel really good if I could crush this this mole's head and and I can whack him down. But, man, if you've got a problem with all sin, if I could keep him beaten down, that makes me feel a little better because I see you struggling with. When we make our performance the center of our Christian life, it leads to judgmental pride of others. But can we obey? Can we kill sin without looking down on other people? Because your battle may be different from theirs. And here's the last one. Can you obey God? Can you do His will? Can you kill sin when it may not end in blessing for you, but it may result in more persecution? You know, we like to obey when we get lots of reward. We like to obey when we get lots of blessing. But can you obey God's word? Can you do his will? Can you kill sin knowing it may make things worse for you? So every day's a battle. Every day is a struggle. There will be days that, you know what, you experience a lot of victory. And I hope that we see more and more of those. That's a part of our sanctification. But there will be days that you and I experience many defeats. So our job is to arm ourselves each and every day with that mindset of Christ to do the Father's will above our own until Jesus returns. We don't get to take a day off. We never get to take off one piece of the armor until we put off these sinful bodies. So remind yourself. Remind yourself each and every morning about what Christ has done. And then you will see 
that it is the powerful love of Christ that kills the love of sin in your life. And it kindles the love of doing God's will above everything else. And so this morning, I want us to end in a continuation of our worship observing communion. You know, we come to this table each and every month and and I know sometimes it can just get to where, oh, it's just something that we go into. We have to fight against that. We have to fight with the mind of Christ of knowing that we come today and we're going to take these elements and we're to remember him. We're to remember the biggest and the best fighter to ever live and that he fought in our place. Just listen to Matthew 26. Jesus is praying and he's in the garden. And after going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And in that moment, Jesus was going to do his Father's will above his own. And that's why we come today. We come to remember that. We come to lay ourselves down again to go, God, in every area of my life, I want your Son to be seen. So I'm going to ask the men that are going to uh, distribute the elements if they'd come and make their way over here to my right. I want you to know today, this morning, this table is open to you. If you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ this morning, we want you to participate in the Lord's Supper. But if not, man, maybe you're wondering, you're asking questions, you're just trying to figure this thing out that people talk about. Well, I'd simply say, watch. And then find somebody over lunch to say, tell me more about why you do the things that you do. And so this morning, we're going to take that juice and we're going to take that bread and we are going to remember. Let us pray. Father, this morning, thank you for a great time of singing truth over each other and to each other. Thank you for a time of opening up your word and having it read over us. Thank you for a morning that we can come boldly and we can open up your word and we can see what it says and your spirit can convict us. It can empower us. As Father, today we want to be more intentional. We, we want to be people that are killing sin in our lives, not in our own power, but by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit that lives in us. We want to kill sin. But help us. Help us to be careful that we don't make that the center of our Christian lives. That is reserved solely for your son that came and gave his life that we remember today. And so, Father, we ask that you bless us and keep us. In your son's name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.